Hey, this is TJ and Joe with the Schoolhouse 302, and we're here with our guest, Dan Wassel, for an interview on our Hashtag One Thing series. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you very much for having me. It's awesome that you're here. Uh, our Hashtag One Thing series is meant to provide listeners with an interview with a great leader on a specific topic and then dive into some growth strategies with our five leadership questions. The one thing series is focused on, this one thing series, I'm sorry, is focused on listening as a key leadership quality. At the Schoolhouse 302, we're always trying to get to simple so that our followers can lead better and grow faster, and we know that listening is a key, key strategy for doing that. Our guest this month is the Honorable Dan Wassel. Judge Wassel was appointed to the Alamosa County Court in November of 2011. Prior to his appointment, Judge Wassel was the Deputy State Public Defender for the 12th Judicial District, Sand Louis Valley, Colorado. He had been with the Public Defender's Office for 10 years. Judge Wassel received his undergraduate degree from the University of Virginia and in 1999, his law degree from University of Colorado School of Law. We are fortunate to have him on this episode of Hashtag One Thing series. So Dan, we're gonna start on the topic of listening. As a judge, we can only imagine that the, there's so many pe people, stories, and situations that you listen to on any given day. It's gotta be a key quality in your arena. So we're gonna ask you to give us an example or an experience or a key strategy that demonstrates how a leader can develop this skill, hone the skill of listening. And Joe and I and our listeners are ready to learn from you. All right. Well, thank you. I am listening. The court I preside over is a county court. So it's a court of general jurisdiction, which means I deal with criminal cases, civil cases, uh, criminal cases, everything from I have a traffic docket. So I'm dealing with speeding tickets. Uh, no seatbelt tickets, very, very minor things. Uh, and then I also have a general criminal docket, which is misdemeanors, felonies, uh, felonies from, you know, all the way up to first degree murder charges. All of that starts in county court. So I have a busy docket every day. Most of my time is spent in the courtroom, um, just hearing cases, managing and moving dockets. And then of course, I I preside over trials as well. I did a jury trial Friday. And so I'm mostly in court as part of my job. And as a judge, listening is something that I have to do literally, literally all day, every day. Uh, and it can be a challenge. Uh, it can be a challenge to just simply have to listen that much. Uh, I think for me, being a judge a real key in that role is you have to be open, neutral, and you have to be, the key is to not prejudge anything because there's a tendency and it's a, it's a natural tendency, whatever job you're doing, you tend to repeat things or situations tend to repeat themselves uh, over and over again. So in your, in your brain or as part of your, your work, you, you want to use that experience where you've had a situation that you've dealt with before, apply it to the next situ situation that comes up. 
and that's a good thing. That's, <laughs> I think that's experience. I think that's background. Um, for example, as a young attorney negotiating with district attorneys, I was a, a public defender, so a defense attorney, but having situations repeat themselves, there was real value to that, to be able to negotiate. But now I'm, I'm a judge and I'm listening. And so while I have these things repeating themselves, maybe the same charges or the same type of case, I have to understand and remember that I have to listen to the person in front of me or listen to the particular case in front of me and really remember just because a situation is repeating itself, that that, that situation and using the knowledge of that situation is different than listening to what the person who is there is telling me because while I've had that situation repeat, you know, one, two, 10, 100 times, the particular case, the person on the other side, that's his or her first time in front of me. And I don't want to get too intellectual or, or out there, but I hope that makes sense. It's a real skill, I think, to be able to listen and understand in your own mind that you're listening to something that you have heard about before, but the other side is the, it's the first time that that person has had a chance to tell you his or her story. And it's a real challenge uh, to keep an open mind and remember that your first step is to take in the information that that other person wants to give you. Yeah, that's I incredible, Dan. I I think it makes perfect sense. You know, we all have these common experiences and re remaining sensitive to the uniqueness um, for that individual person. And that's what I think we're taking away from this is that, yeah, we all have a lot of common experiences, but remaining sensitive and unique um, is critical. I, I looked at your, your blog. I look at your guys' blog post um, and some of the interviews and, I listened to the interview where you interviewed uh, Dave Tellup from the Spurs, and he was talking about kind of the idea, or, or you guys kind of summarized the idea of you're thinking, you're thinking about context and then content. And that's similar to what I'm saying, or that really resonated with me when I was a public defender. Um, the skill of listening as a public defender is different from the skill of listening as a judge. Right now, it's a neutral role. I'm an arbiter. I'm almost like a referee a lot of times, just calling balls and strikes. And this isn't the topic of your blog today, but that's a separate topic. You know, what is the role of the judge and, and whatnot? But generally, it's a neutral role, as opposed to when I was a public defender, I was very much an advocate for my client's position. So the challenge for me as a public defender was taking my own experiences, my own background, my own belief about what is in my client's best interest because of my background. For example, me growing up in a you know pretty typical middle-class East Coast suburban neighborhood, the idea of sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table and discussing the fact that I'm charged with a felony or someone in my family is charged with a felony or has a felony conviction. This is a foreign experience to me. This is something that I couldn't imagine. 
because of, of my background. Now, as a public defender, I'm, I'm representing people from literally all walks of life, indigent clients, and I needed to listen first and foremost to what does this person want? What is this person's primary concern about the case in terms of an outcome? Is it this type of conviction is going to hurt me as a person? Is this type of conviction going to hurt my job? Am I looking at jail time? And that's my primary concern, staying out of jail, working out some sort of opportunity to do that. Maybe it's a probationary sentence. Again, this is all, you know, in the trenches of being a, a public defender or a district attorney. Uh, but the point is, it's hard to say, it was very hard to learn that skill of listening first to what the person, the client, and that was my duty to represent the client, what he or she wanted, especially when you got to the point of ultimately, am I going to, is this person going to negotiate his or her case? Uh, or is this person does this person absolutely want a trial? Do they want their day in court? Do they want to try their case to a, to a judge or to a jury? Even if I think that's a bad idea, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, again, the idea of referring back to my growing up, the concept of, of a felony conviction for me would be, would be a game changer. Yeah, I wanted professionally that would just close doors. Whereas I, I had more than one client. I mean, many, many clients who, if they took a felony conviction, that didn't necessarily mean that I didn't represent them to the best of my ability, or that I didn't do a good job for them as their attorney. They wanted to be, they wanted their voice to be heard in a certain way. And yeah, that's, there was a that's real, Dan. A, a real tension there for me as, you know, a fairly, you know, middle-class white male, uh, with some privilege, I mean, priv some privilege in our society, um, to make sure that I was listening to what my poor, young, female, person of color client wants. Uh, a real tension there. And it was a real, I had to do some real growing in, ter in terms of my ability to listen to what my clients wanted. So to my professional background, I've, I've really had to work on my listening skills in two completely different ways. And again, I hope this isn't too much geeky law stuff. Um, and I hope it makes some sense to, to you guys and, and your audience in terms of what they're looking for. Absolutely. I, I think it does on, on many levels. One, the sensitivity that you're describing, the uniqueness of listening, which I think is a key attribute, what we're talking about almost that there is situational listening. Now, I think it's fantastic, Dan. I think our listeners will surely benefit um, so that they can um, obviously lead better and, and grow. Let's move on to our five hashtag one thing series leadership questions. And I'm going to start with the first question, Dan. Um, who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where can we find them? Man, that's, that's a really tough question uh, because a big part of my thoughts generally on listening and what I think about knowledge 
I, th- I see knowledge and inspiration as two totally different categories, just personally. For knowledge, I think you have to find one objective source of knowledge to keep yourself grounded. And, and what I mean is, from what I've seen in terms of whether it's on social media or politics in this country, there's a tendency almost to have this warrior mentality where you're on a side, you pick a side. And this is what I see in court all the time. It's an adversarial system and I get that. And I don't think there's a better system out there. Um, You know, if you look at legal systems across the board throughout the world, I don't think there's necessarily a better system than the one we have in this country and it's adversarial, but this adversarialness is permeating our society as a whole. It's almost like with knowledge, there's a tend a tendency to, to want or look or default into this echo chamber. Again, I, I like the internet. I like social media, but social media turns me off when I see this. So for knowledge, I think each person has to find one objective source of current events, knowledge, whatever that might be for them. What For me, uh, I default to something like NPR. Every day, I try to get kind of an overview of what's happening in the world. Um, inspiration, to me, that has changed, uh, and it's always been either one peer or one supervisor. When I was a public defender, uh, it was my office head, and then I became an office head and tried to adopt what those particular people told me. So I don't know if that answers your question, because I think it's a really tough question, and it's a super individual answer for each person. No, I think that's fantastic. I really love the the idea of separating the two. Um, we're going to follow up with TJ um, with our second question. This second uh, question here is is an important one for us. It's what's the one thing that that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? Particularly as it as it revolves around listening, correct? Well, in this case, it could be anything leadership that's going to help our listeners grow, lead better, grow faster. So I think certainly certainly you could add a a, a touch of listening. That's the the topic here. But these five leadership questions are really on helping folks grow. Right. I think for, for whether it's leadership as a whole or listening as part of you being a leader, both of those things very much, very much in my work, whether it's practicing as an attorney or running that docket or getting that trial through to a jury to get a verdict, it's hard work and you have to have a good mental outlook. And for me in the law, it is riddled with stress. I mean, because think about it again, for me, mostly when I come in or go into court, whether it was as a lawyer representing someone charged with a crime, or now as a judge where I'm hearing either criminal cases or protection order cases or money cases where people are fighting over that, they want a civil judgment, or, I mean, really the worst, the worst of what I see 
in the court system is the family law situation where you have, have this adversarialness uh, over an emotional connection and a relationship, and there's usually children involved. This is all stress. You're coming into a situation. Nobody really goes into court because they're happy. My joke <laughs> is always, I do name changes, and I'm essentially pushing paper. I mean, that's what I'm doing to change a name. For example, there's a, there's a typo on a birth certificate. Or in my community, um, there's a large population of folks who have emigrated either from Mexico or somewhere else in Central America, Guatemala. And they have dual citizenship and they need their names changed um, a certain way. I'm just, that's the only time when people are really happy to be there. <laughs> so the point of this is I'm always dealing with stress. And I think if you don't have a healthy outlet and a healthy way to deal with your, your stress, you cannot be an effective leader. You just can't. It's, and listening as a part of that, if I'm stressed out, I'm not open to listening. I mean, it's just, it's just natural. So for me, the one thing that I think is important to be a good leader and a good listener, um, which is part of that, is to figure out how to get your stress under control and in a healthy way. You know, not as a young public defender, not married, no kids. I mean, I would deal with the stress of the day in a very unhealthy way. Um, kick back and drink, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> vent um, over these things. But as I got older and I realized the effect of stress, I figured out how to do that in a healthy way. And, and for me, for me, it's very much in terms of a physical outlet or a physical exercise. Um, either get up before work and do a little bit of physical exercise or a workout or after work, um, go outside and do something to separate yourself physically. Uh, for me, that one thing after work is just simply walking a dog. I've got three dogs out here and living in the rural West, I have a lot of space. So that's a great, a great relief. Um, and I kind of flip flop depending on what else is going on with my life. But I, that's a key. Physical exercise or physical outlet to manage stress is absolutely one thing that I think you need to do to balance your intellectual uh, work side of your life. That's great, Dan. Let's move on to question three. What's the one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you don't already? I think it's how to, when I was mentioning before, some of the ideas of situations repeating themselves. And that's, that's so important to developing as a good leader, that, that base of knowledge, that experience, that just familiarity with fact patterns that tend to repeat. Balancing that with as a leader, how do I not jump ahead and presuppose what the answer should be or what it's going to be? I think of it as almost like there's a governor on a car, a cop car. <laughs> this is my days as a public defender. I know more about cop cars than I probably want to, but <laughs> you know, they stick a governor on there because you don't want the engine to go faster than it should safely. And I need, I have had to learn how to keep a governor on my brain 
when I'm dealing with people that I'm supposed to be leading or people in court I'm supposed to be listening to, I have a real tendency to jump ahead. Uh, specific example, I had a, a deputy district attorney the other day who was trying to set a felony case for, for the right kind of hearing. And if it's a mandatory sentence or not, that's the answer. And I had I knew it was a crime of violence. I knew it was a mandatory sentence if the defendant was going to be convicted. And I started to answer his question or solve his problem before he was done telling me what he thought the solution or the answer is. And actually it was, it was on the record in court and I caught my, I literally caught myself doing it. Um, and I have a good relationship with this guy. I think he's a super sh sharp, motivated uh, young attorney. And I just acknowledged that in front of the whole courtroom where I said, you know, I'm sorry, this is my sixth year being a judge and I'm still working on that. Um, I need to keep an open mind and let the other person go first, you know, let them go first. And that's just natural. If you're a good leader, I think you want to demonstrate good leadership, but you have to, I have to remember, and I, I have to, constantly learn how to listen first to be a better leader. So again, sorry to ramble. No, that's really awesome, Dan. I think um, one thing I'm taking away here too, that's I think important to your job, but also important to our listeners is this idea that you're focused on your thinking. You're balancing fact patterns in your head and the idea of like, a governor on your brain and, and just a previous question where you talked about like holding two sides uh, at the same time or, or recognizing the, uh, the need to be objective. It, it's just a lot of metacognitive strategies. And I think as leaders, we need to, um, we need to really honor that. So let's just jump to our next question here. What's the one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate? Man, I hate to do this to you guys, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer it too. <laughs> I know you want one thing, and this is why people <laughs> struggle with lawyers sometimes. It's the hashtag one thing series, Dan. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Take when you're ready to strangle like, a lawyer, you think this is why. I mean, this is how they train you and how they teach you. But so the one, I'll do it this way. The one thing I think that is within your control the individual's control is simply work ethic mm -hmm. to the leaders that I've had uh, that I've respected most have always been hard workers. Um, and they, I've always seen that the one thing that you can control is, is your work ethic and your ability to demonstrate that to others. The one thing that I think helps you in dealing with other people as a leader particularly for dealing with difficult people, again, which has been a hallmark of what I've done professionally, because as a public defender, you don't pick your clients. And I've got stories. I've represented some <laughs> difficult people. Um, and also, I never know who's going to show up in that courtroom, who got a ticket, who got arrested, who wants to bring a, a civil case, and all they want to do is fight and they think I'm Judge Judy, and I'm not. <laughs> but dealing with difficult people or any other people, I think a, a real key is to figure out how to be involved 
with that person or that situation without attachment. Uh, almost be involved so they know that you're present and you're there and you're, you're leading them or you're listening to them, whatever it looks like, without attachment, without emotional attachment, which then hijacks your emotions and your ability to remain neutral, you know, to hear every side of the situation. That certainly is something I have to do as a judge, but I think that skill absolutely applies as a leader in whatever you're doing, whatever field, field of, of work or, or even your personal life. You think about that when you're struggling or having conflict with your spouse. You know, you have to still be involved, um, but there's something that's highly charged or emotional. I think it's crucial to be involved without attachment sometimes. Now, that's excellent, Dan. And I think in our world within education, that has a lot of layover and something we can easily apply within our field. Um, we love this next question because it really opens up um, doors and windows into what people think. Our last question is, what's the one thing that you used to think that you don't anymore? It's something along the lines of when I, was conf when I would be confronted with a problem in work setting, personal life setting, I always felt that there was, I approached it almost from an academic standpoint, that there would be a black or white answer here. Uh, and if I just worked hard enough, I could get to that answer that was black or white. And most of life's problems and most of life's, life's situations are very much gray. Things are more often, in my experience, gray than black or white. And that's been something that, particularly when I decided to switch over from, from being a public defender, I liked the aspect, the collegiality, the, the camaraderie of my office. I liked leading my office. But there were just a few serious cases that pushed me over the edge, so to speak, in terms of understanding that there's really no black or white solution to this problem. Uh, this was a, there was too much gray. And that's how, I, that's how I view life now as mostly gray. And I think, I think it helps me as a judge to, to remember that and keep an open mind. So that's what I would say to that question. I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, just uh, real quick, Dan, I think TJ and I can definitely um, relate to that. When you go into administration and move up the ranks in education, um, I know I used to tell my assistant principals and those who wanted to go into administration, at some point you have to realize that you learn to live in gray. You want things to be clear cut, and unfortunately, they're not. And just circling back to what you had described in the very beginning, a lot of these situations are so unique. That's what prevents situations to be simply black and white. There's so many extraneous factors. So um, thank you so much. That was excellent. TJ? Yeah. It would be so much easier to be a good leader. Uh, anybody could be a leader if you were always going to get to a black or white answer. But I think a good leader has to operate largely 
in that gray area. It's critical, Dan. I mean, this interview has been just fantastic. All our listeners are going to get so much from this. 